as the light of the world, that means that we live our life, listen, in such a way that it's pleasing to the Lord, that every decision that we make, every choice that we make, every thought that we think, every attitude, every action, the way we speak to others, the way we speak about others, the way we think about others, everything that we do, word, thought, and deed is pleasing to God. Only Jesus can say that. You're listening to I Am, a sermon series at Shoreline Church. For more content, visit thisisshoreline.com. How are you at sharing your faith, at evangelizing, at, at witnessing? Is there anything, and, and I know there is, but is there anything that keeps you from sharing your faith? And, and, and let me just be more specific. What is it that keeps you and I, what is it that keeps us from sharing our faith? Uh, the Billy Graham crusade did uh, a survey, and they asked their audience of Christians, what's keeping you from sharing your faith? What's the biggest hindrance to witnessing? And, and on the screen, here's what the respondents said. Zero percent, so no one that was asked said, I don't care. Okay, so clearly if we said that today, hey, raise your hand, church, if you don't care about lost people, no one would raise their hand. So no one didn't care, everyone did care, but 9% said, I'm just too busy to remember. Life's just busy, I've got a lot of social media, and I just, I'm too busy. Uh, 12% said, my own life does not speak as it should. In other words, uh, 28% said, you know, when I go to share my faith, I really don't know what to say. I just lack the true, real information to share. I feel like I'm supposed to say something about uh, uh, Darwin and and creationism. I just don't know what to say. So I lack real information. But do you guys see the biggest stat on the screen? And maybe this is you. 51%, the overwhelming majority of Christians state that the reason they don't share their faith is because I'm afraid of how the other person is going to react. If I share my faith, is this guy who's bigger than me going to slug me in the face? Is he, is he going to leave and walk out of the room and spit in my face? What's going to happen? How they're going to react, I don't know. And so for that reason, I'm not going to speak. There's another stat that Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade, we support one of the crew members, so to speak, uh, in Southeast Asia. He said, and I can't believe this stat, but he said 98% of Christians, I'm sure the stats change, 98% of Christians never share their faith. Is that true of us? 98%? That means that most of us in this room have never shared our faith. Now, we may be afraid. We may be ashamed. Maybe you feel unprepared. But being a witness, evangelizing, is not an optional choice for the elite. This is not just for the Marine Corps kind of special ops Christian. This is not, college student, the summer school elective that you just kind of check off and say, maybe I'll take that. No, it's part of the core curriculum. To be an example, uh, to be a witness, to shine the light of Jesus is so important because around us is a generation outside of this building, maybe even within this building, is a generation of people that is perishing apart from God, and they're going to spend an eternity in the torment, the agony, the separation from God in a place we call hell. And so we as Christ followers are called by Jesus the light of the world. And yet in our text this morning, Jesus begins this section of scripture by stating that he is the light of the world. Uh, If you're kind of following along and you've been here for any bit of time, we're in this series called I Am. 
And we get the name of that series from seven statements that Jesus made about who he is. And he says, I am, and this is the second of those saints. He's going to say today, I am the light of the world. Uh, And it seems as though when we get into this passage that Ryan just read, it seems like Jesus is being distracted away from that concept as he states it in verse 12. It seems like he's being distracted away from it by the Pharisees. Uh, and, And so they start kind of taking him down this rabbit trail, so to speak, where they get him talking about his witness and about his judgment and about his father. And it almost seems like a detour. Okay, but I wanna let you know as we start today, Jesus is not letting them pull him on a rabbit trail. Are there any teachers here this morning? Who here is an educator or a teacher or a parent? Is there any parent, teacher, or educator? Okay, so your, your students or your kids do this, right? When I was a teacher, my students, um, you know, Monday after lunch, uh, the lecture after lunch, or if you're trying to get your kids to follow a rule or a chore and you're trying to explain it to them, you know what I'm talking about? They kind of, they'll bring up, my class used to do this, they'd bring up a rabbit trail question to try to, it's a really boring after lunch lecture, let's get, Let's get Mr. Benham off of his normal lecture. So one of the students would say, hey, Mr. Benham, who's your, who would beat Yoda in a lightsaber duel? Right? They would do that, and I'd go, oh, great question. And before you know it, we were detoured, and the smart kids know what to ask me. Um, is that what's happening in this text? Is Jesus being detoured away from his I am statement about being the light of the world? No. What we're going to find is in this text today, Jesus is actually allowing the Pharisees to truly understand what being the light of the world means. What does it actually mean? And listen, if you're taking note, it has very little to do with physical light and a lot to do with revealing the person and work of the Father. To be the light of the world means to reveal the person and work of Jesus, the person and work of the Father. And so as we're gonna see today, Jesus is the light of the world. And by the end of our time, we're gonna realize as we apply it that you and I are called by Jesus to be the light of the world. All right, so uh, we're gonna do this with our text today. If you're taking note, here's three things we're gonna look at the text. Um, We're gonna kind of dive in as an outline. So we're gonna see that the light of the world, first of all, verses 12 through 18, stands as a true witness. If you're gonna be the light of the world, like Jesus, you have to stand and be a true witness. We've been learning a lot about that in the last few weeks. Um, We're gonna also look at verses 19 through 24, how the light of the world will sometimes need to stand up and pronounce bold warnings. If we're gonna... Uh, warn people, uh, we're going to be the light of the world that's going to require that. And finally, we're going to look at verses 25 through 30 here in chapter 8 uh, at how a, the light of the world lives their life as a pleasing workman. So being a witness, being a watchman, being a workman. Now, some of you are savvy and you're looking at the Bible and you're going, wait a minute, pastor, we started today in, in chapter 8, verse 12, but last week we left off in chapter 7, verse 52, and there's a really cool story that you're skipping. Why didn't we read that section of scripture? And so I just wanna explain what we're doing today, okay? There should be a seven, chapter seven, verse 53, look at your Bibles. There should be a verse that says, and everyone went to his own house. And then it starts chapter eight, verse one. Well, 753 to chapter eight, verse 11, uh, is actually a controversial section of scripture. Uh, Here's why. I believe that it probably happened. It's probably a story that definitely happened. Uh, and, and it belongs possibly in our Bibles, but not necessarily right here. See, here's what happened. None of the early church fathers quote this section of scripture. Most of their commentaries until about the 12th century. That's a long time. Until about the 12th century, 
they end in chapter 7, verse 52, and they pick up in 8, 12, as if that section's not even there. It's almost like the story doesn't, it didn't uh, originally exist here. There are 900 manuscripts where this story is, but none of the earliest manuscripts. In fact, when you read it, it kind of doesn't flow. When you read about this woman caught in the act of adultery and Jesus is riding in the sand and they're going to throw stones and Jesus says, okay, the first one to throw the stone if you're without sin. It doesn't seem to fit with what Jesus says. Um, And so um, it may be a true story that happened, uh, probably ends, uh, belongs at the end of Luke chapter 21 or at the end of John. But for those reasons, I want to encourage you uh, to go back and read it, but it does not hold uh, the authority of other scriptures. So I just want, I want you to read it, go back. It's an awesome story. It probably did happen, uh, but we want to stick with um, the text that we know uh, is in the original, uh, in the earliest manuscript. So look at verse 12 with me. The first thing we're going to see about the light of the world is that the light of the world stands as a true witness. Look at verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, if I can get your attention, Jesus is in the treasury area of the temple. I think we have a picture of it. He's in the treasury area, and you can see uh, those really large torches. There were four of those in the temple treasury area. Uh, It's kind of the court of the women. And so the religious leaders are surrounding him. And remember, they've been trying to challenge Jesus and discredit him. They're always trying to do that. And they, remember last week, they sent those inept officers to try to capture Jesus. They're trying to arrest Jesus, but they end up being arrested by him. Remember that? And and so they're just like, wow, you've never heard anyone talk like this. And so um, Jesus now turns to the crowd and he proclaims another aspect of his Messiahship. And he says, I am the light of the world. See, this is a very, very important idea at this exact time in Jewish history. The reason is, and we talked about this last week, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Uh, And we talked about last week how the priests, every day of the feast, they would go and they would scoop water out of the Pool of Siloam, and they would walk it, and they would pour it out. And and, uh, it was just kind of a daily ritual. It was lots, lots of festivities, lots of singing. Well, there's another uh, kind of festivity that happened on day one. At the end of the day, the priests, as the light of the day kind of ended, they would do on day one the, what's called the illumination of the temple. And they would light these big four candelabras, these big torches. They'd light them up at night. Uh, and it was kind of a picture as the sun went down on that first day of the feast. It's this picture of like, God, he was with us in the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. He was with us. And so it was said that when they lit that torch, those four torches, that the blaze was so bright that every courtyard in Jerusalem, uh, you could see the light, kind of like that annoying neighbor in your neighborhood who's got that really bright, obnoxious, maybe Christmas light, uh, or maybe it's just like a really annoying light in his front yard. It's just shining, and it's in your window. It wasn't an annoying thing. It was a beautiful thing. The parents would be on the roof, remember, with the kids building these forts, and they would look and go, there's the light. God is with us. He is the light. In fact... Some commentators believe that as soon as the pillars were lit, all of Israel chanted out loud at once, the Lord is my light. Wow. So right here in the same courtyard, at the end of the feast, as the feast is ending, Jesus stands and proclaims, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice it's, it's the light of life. Now, uh, if you're taking note, light 
is something that's important for all of us. We all need light. Light is a conduit, so to speak, of revelation. What do I mean by that? Light is a conduit of revelation. Okay, so when you're in darkness, you need light to reveal things to you that are otherwise undisclosed, okay? So I asked some of you, who, who of you are parents, so you'll understand this idea as a parent or maybe an uncle that watched your, your uh, brother or sister's kids one time. Uh, so uh, when our kids were growing up, our kids were younger, uh, there would be a noise in the middle of the night and it would be dark out and um, my wife, Jen, would nudge me a couple, three or 400 times. She'd nudge me to wake up and check on the kids. And so I would, I, would, I would usually be in REM sleep. So as she's nudging me, right, I'd kind of stumble out of bed and, um, and I'd kind of make my way into the kid's room and I'd hear this kind of scary noise, this weird, strange noise. And I wasn't sure what it was. And so I, uh, you know, being the, the protective father that I would uh, be, you know, as, as a very, you know, strong, manly man, would go back to the bedroom and say, Jen, you should check this out. I'm not sure what it is. This is scary. No. You're not going to flip the light on on your children, right? Hashtag worst dad ever. You're not going to do that. You're going to be more discreet. And so for those of you under the age of 30, they used to make this thing called a flashlight. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's all on our phones now. And so basically under 30, here's what you do. It's where you store your C and D batteries when you want them dead, okay? You just store them there in that junk drawer. So I'd go to the junk drawer. I'd get the, the you know, torch big lantern that you only use for hurricanes. And so I'd go into the bedroom and I'd hear this strange noise and it's under the bed. And, and so I'd flip the flashlight on or now we use our cell phones and we just kind of see what's going on. Uh, and I'd go, oh, okay, that's what it was. I didn't realize it was the Tickle Me Elmo doll that was kind of hiding underneath the bed. I had no idea it was that. We, we actually did not have Tickle Me Elmo dolls because we're Christians, <clears throat> but um, it was one of the dolls. It was something was going off. And so without a flashlight, my point in being silly is without a flashlight, with, listen, without a conduit of revelation, then I'm just guessing. What, what is under there? What is that sound? And so I'm left to my own devices. Well, uh, maybe it's this. Well, maybe it's that. The kids certainly think it's a monster. It's the boogeyman. Daddy's coming to get me. Help me. Right? But no, it's just a toy. So with the light, you follow me? You follow me? With light, the truth can be revealed. Okay? So the idea of walking in darkness, listen, it means to be ignorant of two things. If you're walking in darkness, if you're taking note, I'm not gonna put it on the screen, two things. It means that you're ignorant, number one, of who God is, okay? And secondly, what he commands, okay? To be in darkness means you're ignorant of who God is and what he commands. So to be in the light then means to understand God, meaning the revelation of who he is and the revelation of what he said. So when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, man, there is a lot behind that meaning. Uh, let me just walk this with us through just for a minute. Uh, if you're taking note, you can take a picture of these verses, but Psalm 27 would have been the verse that Israel would have proclaimed uh, as those torches were lit. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's one of the first verses I memorized as a young teenager. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. But John told his listeners in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we heard from him and that we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. One day, as we just sang about those 10,000 years in heaven, one day, Revelation 21, 23 says, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. Jesus isn't gonna shine a light for us to see, he will be the light. He will be the illumination. 
First uh, Timothy six sixteen, Paul told Timothy uh, that God alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, and to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. See, being in the light means understanding who God is, for he is light, but not just who he is, but also what he said. And so not only is God himself, he's light, but his word is light. His word is revelation. Look at, look at the screen, Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet, and it's a light to my path. Not only is God our light, but the scriptures themselves give us light. They give us a light of reference. They give us a light of direction. They give us insight both for where we're at today and for where we're going. Often in counseling sessions, we'll sit down with someone and there's a lot of issues going on. And I have to be able to say in our pastoral team and those who do counseling, we have to look at the scriptures and go, well, I don't have a lot to give you here, but here's what the scripture says. And the word is a lamp. It illuminates where you're at and where you're going. The scriptures are the light. And so in Psalm 43.3, the psalmist would say this, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. I want your word to go out ahead of me so I know where to go. So apart from God and apart from his word, you and I, we can say it very honestly, we're living in darkness. If you're living today apart from God, apart from the word of God, scripture, you are, and I'm not saying this to insult you, you're walking in darkness. No matter what your age is, what your upbringing is, if you today do not know the Lord Jesus and you do not know the scriptures, you're walking in darkness. And God is calling you to come into the light. J.C. Ryle says this, I love this quote, the vast majority of men neither see nor understand the value of their souls, the true nature of God, nor the reality of a world to come. For this state of things, the Lord Jesus Christ declares himself to be the only remedy. He has risen like the sun to diffuse light and life and peace and salvation in the midst of a dark world. He, Jesus, invites all uh, who wants spiritual help and guidance to turn to him and take him for their leader. What the sun is to the whole solar system, the center of light and heat and life, that he has come into the world to be to sinners. This, there's so much meaning behind this, guys. Jesus is the light. And so being the light of the world means, first of all, standing as a true witness. Look at verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. All right, so their argument against him is that, hey, Jesus, you, you can't testify of yourself. Right? You can't be in a court of law and like, yeah, I swear to tell the truth. Um, I didn't commit the murder. I was home that night, and, and I was an eyewitness. I definitely saw myself watching. Uh, I, I was there. I was watching. Um, you know, this is us. The new season came out. I couldn't help it, so I was watching the new. Like, you can't, that's not going to hold up in a court of law. You need someone else to testify about you. But see, that argument's based on human reasoning. If we're looking at Jesus as a man, then I agree. But if Jesus came down from heaven, and we know he did, then anything he has to say is not of this world. Anything he has to say, I'm paying attention to. Wait, you came from heaven and you came to earth? All right, can you tell me, like, what should I do today? I'm going to listen to what you have to say. I have no advice to give you. You talk to me. Um, I read reviews from time to time before I go to restaurants. Anybody do that? You read reviews before you eat somewhere. I gotta make sure this place is legit. And so some of you know I have kind of a, um, it's not an obsession as much as um, uh, I'm appreciating all that God has given us, okay? So don't hate, all right? It's not, it's not sin. I've not crossed a line into gluttony and obsession. It's, it's I appreciate 
what God has blessed us with under the sun. It's just a blessing. And so when I read a review of, I don't know, let's say a, a donut shop, okay? Uh, if I see a review and the review says, dude, you gotta try the maple bacon, all right? Because if two things go together, bacon plus anything, but bacon and donuts, I'm in, all right? We're winning if that's happening. So I'm gonna read that review, I'm going for it. Now, if they said, hey, avoid it, it's not good, stay away, the donuts are awful, Okay, then I'm going to listen to that review, okay? Uh, so the idea here is that, listen, I'm not listening to hearsay. Jesus is equal with the Father. He descended from heaven to earth. And so his witness, listen, it's not a normal witness, but he's not alone in his witness. He also has the Father bearing witness. Notice the next verse, 14. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from and where I'm going, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And the Pharisees didn't understand who Jesus was, and thus they judged him according to what they saw, according to the flesh. Um, Jesus' judgment was righteous, but he even says here, my purpose was not just to judge. My purpose in coming was to save. But even if it was to judge, look what he says next. Verse 16, and yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. And so he says, here's the two men. I'm one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Okay? So Jesus' witness of himself and his witness of the Father is true, it's reliable, and yet he knew that the Jews would say, well, what about the two or three witnesses? And so he goes, okay, well, I'll call to the stand the Father. I like what uh, one of the commentaries um, by Clark says. He says, our Lord speaks here exactly in the character of an ambassador. Such a person does not bring a second with him to vouch his truth. His credentials from his king ascertain his character. He represents the king's person. So our Lord represents the father as bearing witness with him. Okay? You guys follow me? Jesus as the light of the world is a true witness. And he's speaking about the Father. He's saying, you're judging me incorrectly, and you're saying I'm not a true witness. Okay? The key for a true witness, as we've, as we've been studying this gospel, is that you must simply recount what you've seen and heard correctly. You don't need to add any salt and pepper. You don't need to add any hot sauce to the story. Just tell the story accurately. Anybody here an embellisher? I know I'm asking you guys a lot of questions today. Are you an embellisher? Go ahead. If your husband or wife is an embellisher, would you raise your hand? You'll be in trouble later, but it's okay. Yeah. The story gets a little bit more crazy every time they tell it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was, it was crazy how he used to drive. He got all these tickets. You're like, I got a ticket, maybe. Right? The story gets crazier every time they tell it. Now, Jesus is, he, he's a true witness. He's not trying to add any flair to it. You don't need to jazz it up. Man, just tell the gospel. Tell it. Honestly, tell it accurately. In 1983, read this week a story about a guy by the name of Anthony Porter. Anthony Porter was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder and, uh, murder and robbery of a young couple in uh, a park in Chicago. And two eyewitnesses positively identified Anthony Porter uh, in court as the killer. And so he was sentenced and condemned to an eventual death. But while he was on death row, uh, a private investigator began working with Northwestern University journalism students, and they actually obtained a videotaped confession of the real killer. Uh, 
And so they sought the truth to help exonerate this man who was about to die. Well, they actually came too late. It was already time for him to be executed. So they they expedited the process. They had 50 hours until he was to be put to death. And they finally had a signed uh, confession. And the evidence helped this man be set free from prison as the real murderer was apprehended. Wow. It's so important, right, to be a true witness, to not be a false witness. And so as Jesus reveals who he is and who the Father is, we can trust that his witness is absolutely true. And church, that's why I emphasize how important it is that we know sound doctrine and that we teach and and what we teach and what we share about God needs to be true. The verses that we quote on our social media need to be in context. The things that we say about God need to be accurate. They need to be true. Uh, They shouldn't be incorrect. The songs that we sing shouldn't be love songs to our boyfriend Jesus. They should be accurate songs about who God is. We are testifying to others outside of the church about who God is. And so if they have questions, we need to make sure that we're answering them honestly. We could be bad witnesses or worse, false witnesses, saying things about God that are not true. No, we need to be true witnesses like Jesus. And so not only is the light of the world a true witness, but secondly, being the light of the world means sometimes you need to pronounce bold warnings. Look at verse 19. They said to him, where is your father? Okay, so they're, they're going for the jugular here. You guys know this in marriage, sometimes you just go for it. You're like, all right, this is not fair. This is unfair fighting. A few years back, Holyfield and Tyson, they're in the middle of the boxing match. You guys remember that one scene? And Tyson knows he's going to lose, so what does he do? He goes in and bites for the ear, right? He, he bit his ear off, Right, that's unfair fighting, that's dirty fighting. All right, and so they do that here. They're, they're going for it here. They're like, oh, you're talking about your father. Hey, where is your father? Let's bring him up. Can you uh, tell us more about him? You see, they were not unaware of the controversy surrounding Jesus' virgin birth and the scathing rumors about Mary and Joseph. That's what they're doing here. They're like, oh yeah, tell us about your father. We'd love to hear about your illegitimacy. Uh, one commentator, Tenney, said, in the East, to question a man's paternity is a definite slur on his legitimacy. Uh, this argument about Jesus' father and his legitimacy and their father, that's going to continue through this whole chapter. We'll get to it next week. Um, but in the meantime, notice Jesus' response here. Look at this. Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him. Why, church? For his hour had not yet come. Remember that? So what Jesus is saying here is, listen, the only way to know the Father is to know me. And the only way uh, to uh, ultimately uh, know Jesus is to know the Father. And so Jesus is being very blunt here, very direct here. He's explaining to them, you don't actually know who I am, and thus you don't know who the Father is. And that is a rebuke to the Jew who would pride themselves as separate from the Gentiles as someone who definitely knew God. For you to walk in and say, you don't even know who God is. That would be like someone coming in and you haven't seen them come to Shoreline before and they sat next to you and you greeted them during the sermon or during the greeting time, which sometimes is awkward. You're kind of like, hey, how's it going? And so you're like, hey, you're new here. And they're like, yeah. And so they sit through the sermon at the end of the teaching. You guys know we have the t-shirts at the resource center. It's all about Jesus. And we pray to Jesus. We teach about Jesus. We sing about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that person next to you who's new to Shoreline at the end of service, 
You're like, well, what'd you think of the church? And they're like, oh, you guys don't know anything about Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine that? What, you're like, well, did you want to sign up for the next class or um, get a hello? We have a free gift for you. It's called the door. And you're like, what do you do in that situation? But Jesus is saying, you don't even know who the Father is. You think you know God. You don't know who God is. Jesus said something similar in Luke chapter 10. Notice this. It's a different occasion, but he said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, almost whispering to them, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, church, being the light of the world isn't just pointing people toward God, though it is that. Sometimes it's pointing people away from danger, away from what is false, away from sin. Sometimes being the light means pronouncing bold warnings. Look at the next few verses. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus said to them again, I'm going away. You will seek me and you'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, well, is he going to kill himself? Where I go, you cannot come. What does he mean? Is he going to commit suicide? And he said to them, you're from beneath. I'm from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. Therefore, I said to you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, we read through this quickly. Look on the screen. Let me give you a synopsis of what Jesus just said. Look at the boldness in these statements. You, are, you know neither me nor my father. I'm going away. You cannot come. You'll in your sin, uh, you are from beneath, you are of this world. Wow. As we learned recently, right, Jesus uh, is not worried about being PC. You know what PC stands for? Politically correct. Now, when I say politically correct, I'm not talking about Republicans, Democrats, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm, when I say politically correct, I'm talking about saying things that you don't want anyone to be offended by. I'm just going to be careful. I'm going to tiptoe because grandpa's in the room. I don't want to say anything uh, about, you know, this specific topic. So I'm just going to be careful and not say, we're trying to be politically correct, right? And so this is happening in our culture. Everyone wants to be politically correct. Jesus doesn't do that. He's not afraid of what they're going to think, okay? And so sometimes we're afraid of being offensive. But, but my thing is, like, what's more offensive? The doctor sitting you down saying, you have cancer. Here's how to treat it. This step, this step, and this step. Or is that, is that more offensive for him saying, you know, I really like your shirt, man, that is, that is on point. I have not seen a shirt that cool. So, you know, I do have some answers for you, but I'll get, just come back to me in a few months, I'll give you the details, right? Because you're just a nice guy, right? Is that, is that more dishonest? My fear, church, is that as Christians, we're, we're merely known for being nice and not bold. Being the light of the world sometimes means pointing people away from dangerous situations. Martin Luther King Jr. said it best, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. He said our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Many of you have heard this story before, uh, the story of a, of a ship captain. And as he looked into the dark night, he saw this light approaching them. And so he immediately tells his signalman to send a message. And the message is, hey, ship, alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, then the captain got this reply back, and the reply was, you alter your course 10 degrees north. And so the captain sent another message furiously. He said, I said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a captain. Well, then another reply was received. You alter your course 
10 degrees north. I'm a seaman third class. Well, that infuriated the captain who's much higher in rank. And so he said, this is your final warning. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Well, then the reply came back and said, you alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) You see, a lighthouse is a beacon of light that, what does it do? Warns people of impending doom, whether on the shore, on the shoals, on the rocks. It stands as a constant reminder of the risks and helps protect people from destruction. And if you and I are going to be the light of the world, then that means sometimes we have to make firm declarations of truth. It means sometimes we need to be a lighthouse and people need to know where we stand on certain issues. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about spiritual things, what matters most. And here in this text, Jesus makes some huge statements. Did you catch that? He says, you're going to die in your sin. Have you ever told anyone that? Have you ever said that? Right, maybe not on the first date, but, but have you ever said that to someone? You're going to die in your sin. It, this is an accurate translation. For in the Greek, it doesn't say sins, but sin singular. To Listen, to reject Jesus is to com- commit the sin for which we are separated from God for eternity, the sin of unbelief. And so Jesus is saying what's going to happen to them. He's saying, you're going to die spiritually if you persist in this state of, of unbelief. Do you, church, do, do we have the boldness to tell someone that? Hey, man, you're gonna die in your sin. Is, is that being unloving or is that being honest? Jesus here, he says, you are from beneath. <laughs> I mean, he's, what he's saying, you have a, such a low outlook on things. You're looking at it from a worldly perspective. You're boxing in and just looking at it from the world's point of view. You're not having an eternal perspective. Now, I, I know you and I have said to people like, you know what, doing that is beneath me. I don't wanna clean toilets, that's beneath me. But I don't know, have you ever said to someone what Jesus, you are beneath me? I mean, can you imagine saying someone like, you're beneath me? Uh, I mean, wow. It's true though, if you've got a brother in Christ who's living in the world, in the flesh, isn't it honest to tell him like, bro, you're, you're living beneath, like this is beneath you. This is, you're living a life that's worldly. Jesus says here, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am he. Now, in the original Greek, the he is not there. So this is how it reads. This is awesome. He says, if you do not believe that I am, then you will die in your sin. Wow. Have you ever told someone that, that by not trusting in Christ, they are going to go to hell? See, Jesus is not being a jerk here. He's being honest. If you and I were on a plane and the plane is going down and the stewardess, the flight attendant was explaining to me, here's how you survive the crash. I would not be upset if they were not smiling or being friendly in their speech. I wouldn't care if they were being too direct. I would just be thankful and I would listen to every word. Just be accurate. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And so Jesus is affirming here what the scriptures tell us about people in darkness. Uh, Look at uh, the screen. Ephesians 4.18 says, They, the world, are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Have you ever told someone that? Leave that verse up. Like, look at that for a minute. That's a description of the world. Darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life that God has for them. They're ignorant. uh, They're hard of heart. Have you ever shared that with someone? That's what the Bible says. See, sadly, the men who are speaking to Jesus have that type of hard heart. But as the light of the world, Jesus says some difficult things to them. He warns them that they're gonna die in their sin. 
But there's one more aspect to being the light of the world, and that is that the light of the world, number three, lives as a pleasing workman. Look what happens next. This would happen to you if you were to say that to someone, by the way. I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to go to work tomorrow, and the boss says, all right, guys, like, how was your weekend? You're like, you're dead in your sin. I'm not telling you to do that, all right? Don't come out like ninja style, okay? You gotta be a little more, a little more discreet. And so they said to him what your family or boss would say, who are you? And in our vernacular, who do you think you are to talk to me like that? And so Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning, verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. Many things to say, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. Wow, I don't know if you caught this, but Jesus is exercising restraint here. Someone said that the art of eloquence is knowing when not to speak. Jesus demonstrates this in such a perfect way here. He says there's many other things (laughs) that I desire to say. There's plenty that I could say right now, but I'm only gonna say what the Father tells me. Remember, Jesus, fully God, fully man, fully omniscient, that means all-knowing, he could have easily spoken what these men were thinking. I know that if I could hear people's thoughts and people were saying something mean in their mind, I'd have a tough time holding back from calling them. I'm easy with the judgy thoughts, bro. Like, I'd have a tough time not calling people out. But here, Jesus shows incredible discretion. And this is an important point for us to take note of, okay? Being the light of the world doesn't mean you're pugnacious. It doesn't mean you're obnoxious. We're not jerks for Jesus, okay? Uh, Just because you're right doesn't mean uh, that that you communicate it in a way uh, that that rubs people wrong. There's a wrong way to be right. Does that make sense? There's a wrong way to be right. Like, you don't go into a dark room, if we're using this analogy of light and dark, you don't go into a dark room and, like, flip the lights on. I did that with my kids. It doesn't work. Like, hey, it's Monday. Flip the light on on them, right? That, that doesn't work. What that does is it causes people, maybe just my kids, it causes people to go deeper into the darkness. When you shine the light, it is to be in a way that's attractive, not repulsive. Like, I want to have nothing to do with that now. I'm going to go darker into uh, my sin. There's a wrong way to be right. We can post what's right on Facebook, but there's a wrong way to do it. And so they did not understand in verse 27 that he spoke to them of the Father. And so Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, when you lift me up, then you will know that I am, that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. Notice this, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Verse 30 says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Think of the implication of these words. These are prophetic, these are paternal, these are pleasing. Jesus says, when you lift me up, meaning on the cross, this will happen. This will happen soon in six months. He says, when you do this, you'll know that I am. You're gonna see the sky go dark, the earth is gonna quake, the veil in the temple is gonna tear from top to bottom. And in that moment, you will know that I am. And he says, I'm not doing whatever I wanna do. I'm only doing what my father taught me to do. I'm not self-sufficient. I'm completely reliant upon my Father. I'm not living for my own pleasure, for my own good pleasure. I'm living for His pleasure. I do everything and only the things that please Him. Now, let's just be honest, okay, honest moment. Only Jesus can say that. Like, I only do what pleases my Father. Like, growing up, can you imagine, can anyone here say that? Like, yeah, I only did what pleased my parents. I was the perfect child. (laughs) Can anyone say that without getting an elbow from your 
you know, your kids or from your wife. Right? Jesus alone can say, I always do what pleases the Father. And what's up with parents? Like, when we found out we were having kids, we found out we were having kids, we were so excited. And I go to share this with my parents, and both of my parents are like, like, we don't deserve to have good kids because maybe there's this rumor that I wasn't that great of a kid. I mean, it's probably not true. But, you know, what, what's up with that? I don't understand that. Like, they're not excited. They want, almost wish, almost wishing your kids are evil, right, for you. What's up with that? Uh, I don't understand that. Um, okay, so we may have been a little bit of an HMK. You guys know what an HMK is? Maybe we're a little bit of that. An HMK is a high-maintenance kid, okay? Yeah, maybe, so are there rumors? Yeah, there may have been some things that, that we have done that were high-maintenance. Anyone here, you were a high-maintenance kid? Anyone here have high-maintenance kids? It's okay, they're in kids' ministry, it's fine. We'll, we won't tell them today. <laughs> hey, kids, guess what? I talked about you in service. Um, here's a few examples of HMKs. I saw this online. Uh, play with the kids, they said. It will be fun, they said. Poor dog. He's got spiders all over him. <laughs> so sad. He's, he's got to get a bath soon with a pressure washer. Uh, someone else found the Sharpie. <laughs> if you saw that one. Okay, that was not me. I wasn't that bad. I mean, I may have talked back once, ever. Got spanked one time in my whole life. Yeah, hopefully lightning doesn't strike. Um, yeah, that's not Jesus. Jesus was not an HMK. Okay. It's silly, but Jesus says, I only did what pleased the Father. Like, does anyone here in verse 30 contradict him? Does anyone say, like, well, actually, we... No, they knew his background. And what do we see? His contemporaries, according to verse 30, placed their faith in him. Why? Because they all could attest to the truth. Yeah, we've seen the way you live. Everything you do is pleasing to God. You're fully obeying the law. You've lived your life as someone who's pleasing and so as the light of the world, that means that we live our life, listen, in such a way that it's pleasing to the Lord, that every decision that we make, every choice that we make, every thought that we think, every attitude, every action, the way we speak to others, the way we speak about others, the way we think about others, everything that we do, word, thought, and deed, is pleasing to God. Only Jesus can say that. There's much in the New Testament that speaks about how we can please God. And yet Jesus can alone assert that all he does pleases the Father. That's what it means to be the light of the world. Now, to apply this, I want us to look really quick at a verse in the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus calls not just himself, but you and I, the light of the world. And we'll apply this in three ways. Okay, first of all, the verse, Matthew 5, 14. Jesus now says, you are the light of the world. And he's talking to us. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, okay, so there's a correlation here. This is an analogy. This is a word picture. In the same way that happens, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so Jesus speaks about himself being the light, and then he says we are also the light. Okay, the, the greatest light in the world that we know about is the sun, our star, okay? we have a sun, and we have a, a lesser light at night, the moon. And so the moon doesn't actually shine, even though we might say, wow, the moon's really bright, shining tonight. No, it's just reflecting light. And so when Jesus says you're the light of the world, he's not saying you're gonna produce light out of yourself. He's really saying you're basically gonna reflect the light that I'm shining within you. And so what does he say to do then? He doesn't say, come on guys, try to be better, be a better light. I've sat in those sermons. Come on guys, be a better light of the world. No. What does he say? He says, don't hide it. It's already there. You're reflecting it. What you need to do is not block the light. Don't hide 
the light. It cannot be hidden. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A Christian should not look identical to the world. We should stand out. It can't be hidden. It's, you're not going to hide away. Oh, there's no light to see here. I'm not a Christian. Okay? A city on a hill gives light to all people, and people need direction. They find it. It's a frame of reference. It gives them hope. In the middle of the night, a weary traveler, there's a light on. It must be a city. Oh, we're going to be safe. I need to get to that light. That's who you and I are. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And so I want to give us three closing points of application. We'll put them on the screen. Like Jesus, we need, or, or let's be, men and women who witness. Let's be men and women who witness. There's a historical court case um, that was lost because the attorney was silent. The attorney thought he had it all locked down in the 1800s. And so he, he um, went to the jury and he said, listen, I'm not going to insult your intelligence. The facts stand before you. So you go and deliberate. It's obvious, you know, what the verdict's going to be. Well, they did deliberate, and they came back, and it was guilty. And he said, how did you come up with that? And uh, the foreman of the jury said, well, we all agreed that if anything could be said for the case, you would have said it. But because you didn't present any evidence, we decided to rule against you. That was the one case uh, where silence had lost the case. Howard Hendricks says this, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. See, guys, we need to be men and women who witness. Jesus stands up. He cries out in the middle of the feast, I have living water. It's the Spirit of God. And if you're thirsty, come and drink. Here he says, I'm the light of the world. And whoever follows me will have the light of life, living water and living light. And they're available to us today. Jesus testified, and he didn't shrink back from telling others the good news. What about us here? 2,000 years later in Bradenton, Lakewood Ranch, Sarasota, Florida. You guys know I did some research this week uh, in Manatee County. When we moved here a few years back, uh, this is kind of our hometown, but we moved back uh, from planting a church in Tampa. And in 2014, we moved back. And there's about 350,000 people in Manatee County. That's gone up. So this latest um, stat shows that over 375,000 people now live in Bradenton. So I moved here. I was part of that 25,000. Sorry about that. Uh, But the roads are a little clogged. 375,000 people in Manatee County. There's roughly, you can do the stats, um, about 300 churches or so. If every church in Manatee County could fit 1,000 people, and they can't, but if they could, we still don't have enough churches in Manatee County to just fit all the people. If we want to reach all the people on one Sunday, have them all come to church. Uh, even if we said, let's pack out the Manatee Convention Center across the river, let's try to pack that out, we would have to host 93 weekend services to fill all of Manatee County's um, you know, uh, population. Uh, hey, let's think big. Let's rent Lee Com Park, we would, you know, where the pirates play. We would have to, in downtown Bradenton, do 44 weekend services just to reach all the people in Bradenton. And I know I can have a strong voice in one or two services, but 44, I mean, our ushers are going to be really sick and tired of hearing the same message 44 times in a row. Okay? Did you guys know, not only that, but the death rate in Manatee County right now is about five per day. Uh, So that means that today, five of our neighbors are alive today and tomorrow are possibly passing into an eternity apart from Jesus. Doesn't that awaken our spirit to action? Doesn't that wake us up from our Netflix binging to say there's people around me that need Jesus? I mean, even just this week, my neighbor right next to me, uh, they do some work with uh, hospice and they brought in someone, we saw the hospice 
uh, I think on Monday of this week, delivering furniture. And like Wednesday, uh, I guess uh, a corner came and they, they rolled out a stretcher uh, with the person who had already died just two days later. Uh, so even in my street, my next door neighbor, someone came and they died. This is happening around us. And so we need to be, let's be people who witness. The stakes are high and the church is silent. And that brings us to our second point of application. We need to not just be men and women who witness, but let's be men and women of boldness. Let's be bold. Like Jesus, speak the truth. Don't shy away from warning people of their impending doom. If you know someone here that's about to shipwreck their faith, man, be the lighthouse. Make sure you speak the truth. Sound the alarm. And I wonder sometimes, like, where are the Christian watchmen on the walls who will speak out? We're so polite, and we're so... Like, I'll pray for you, but, but who's gonna speak? Josiah Gilbert Holland wrote this poem, and I love it. God, give us men. A time like this demands. Strong minds, great hearts, true faith, and ready hands. Men whom the lust of office does not kill. Men whom the spoils of office cannot buy. Men who possess opinions and a will. Men who have honor. Men who will not lie. Men who can stand before a demagogue and damn his treacherous flatteries without winking. Tall men, sun-crowned, who live above the fog in public duty and in private thinking. For while the rabble with their thumb-worn creeds, their large professions and their little deeds, mingle in selfish strife, lo, freedom weeps, wrong rules the land, and waiting justice sleeps. Church, we need to step up. We need to stand up, and sometimes we need to speak out. Be, let's be people of boldness, amen? One more thing. We need to be men and women, thirdly, of fitness. Let's be men and women of fitness. Now someone's like, wait, fitness? I'm not talking about being in the gym every day. Uh, I do have one of my favorite fitness shirts. If anyone wants to get me this, this is my favorite fitness shirt. I'm into fitness, fitness taco in my mouth. <laughs> Love that. What I mean by fitness is we need to be those who are living lives that are well-pleasing to the Father. Okay? One of the aspects of Jesus being the light of the world, there's no darkness in him. There's no impurities. You're not gonna find something out by examining his life. Oh, well, there's this about Jesus. Mm, that's a shame. Everything Jesus does brings glory to the Father. Everything he does is well-pleasing to him. And we as well need to be living lives that are pure, fit lives, pleasing to God. We need to be men and women of boldness, men and women of witness, men and women of fitness. Jesus doesn't say, you need to be this. He says, you already are, so stop hiding the light. I'm gonna ask the band to come up. We're gonna close in song kind of an upbeat song that reminds us that it's all finished. This is not an exhortation for you to try harder. It's just to be. Be who God's called you to be. Be in the light. But as we close, I have a pastor's challenge for us this week. You guys up for a challenge? All right, so here's the pastor's challenge for both of you who said yes. My challenge for you this week is simply this. Be a pilot light. What do you mean by that, pilot light? In 1982, this is a cool story, a London pastor left uh, his church on Sunday morning and walked outside, and there's a man evangelizing on the steps of his church. And so he'd never seen anything like it. All these people are coming to Christ. He had just had his church service. No one came to Christ. And so he started talking to the guy. What's, what's going on? And he thought, I'm an evangelist because I preach evangelistic sermons, but I've never gone outside the walls of the church to actually talk to people. Imagine that. And so he said, Lord, I promise I'm going to begin talking to people. And so he invited his church members, hey, join me. And they started a group, and guess what the group is called? The Pilot Lights. I love this. The idea is that a pilot light stays alight, and it's ready to be used at any time. 
And in the same way, members of this group, the pilot lights, said, we're ready and we're willing and we're prepared and we're prayed up so that at any moment, if someone asks us for the reason for the hope we have, we can, we can give them an answer with gentleness and respect. We're ready. We're pilot lights. And after that, they left. And every Saturday morning, we'd just go out and talk with people about Jesus. And God did a great work. See, the scriptures tell us about Jesus in Isaiah 9 too. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. That's a picture of Jesus. But in Philippians 2.15, there's a picture of you and I. We're also the light of the world. And it says there, Paul says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst, in the midst, not separated, but in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom, there's that idea again, you're among the world, among whom you shine as lights in the world. My challenge for us this week, be a pilot light. Be ready, be prayed up. Maybe God will use you this week to speak to someone. It's scary, I know. It's scary. Talking to your barista, talking to your waitress, calling your dad who you haven't spoken with in many years. Just saying, listen, I've been praying that I'd be more of a witness and I haven't been. Would you forgive me? And, And I just wanna share some things with you about who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. I pray that we would be his pilot lights, ready, ablaze, and prepared for use by the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Lakewood Ranch YMCA. For more content, visit our website, thisisshoreline.com. Make sure to tune in next time as we continue our study through the Gospel of John in the series, I Am.